Father in heaven, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for uh, a beautiful day today. As we come to the end of camp meeting, we're grateful for camp meeting. The opportunity to fellowship and learn and work together. And uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit will bless this class. We know that we are living in troubling times and troubled times. And we're so grateful that uh, we serve the commander of the universe who has everything in his control and to whom we can turn for direction and guidance. We pray that as we talk about some of the challenges we face today, may your Holy Spirit be here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's always a little bit of a challenge to try to determine how to identify what this class a class like I'm doing today is really all about. Um, I want to make sure that your expectations on this class are realistic, but I also want you to realize that um, we need some foundational tools in order to be able to deal with the challenges and the problems that we have in our churches. Sometimes what we want in our work as leaders in a church are quick fixes. That's the kind of society we live in today. We are a vending machine society. We are a, a Google society. When I need a solution, I Google it, I find it instantly. You know, I used to be able to preach a sermon and say something, and it would take several weeks before people could tell me that I said the wrong thing. <laughs> Today, they can say it within two minutes after I've said it, or maybe even 30 seconds. If I say that uh, World War I for the United States actually started on, on April 25 of 1917, somebody is going to Google it just to check it out, and then they find out it was April 6th. Pastor, you were wrong. <laughs> so I know that because I had that in another seminar. So I, I had to be able to do that. But anyway, all I'm saying is sometimes it's more important for us to realize that we need some foundational tools in order to be able to do the work we've been given and then from the tools, we can figure out how to handle what it is that we're struggling with. So here's what I'm telling you today, is we are going to talk about some of the issues that we're dealing with, because we must. But before we do that, I want to give you a couple of foundational tools that you need to have uh, to be able to manage this in your local church. And I will identify those for you in a moment. Now, first of all, does everybody have one of the handouts? Anybody not have the handout? Okay. If you'll just put those at the back back there. And Harold, if you see anybody come in, if you'll just give one to them and, and uh, hand those back to Harold. And that's great. Thank you. Make sure that anybody coming in gets one. And uh, you're doing such a great job. Would you put the evaluations back there, too? I'd appreciate that. Jim? Get from Harold, get the handout for today here. So if you, uh, as we get into this, that's the platform I'm working on today. And I, want, I told our elders and deacons and deaconesses that we're going to be talking a little bit. I didn't so much say this to the deacons and deaconesses. But we need to talk a little bit about managing conflict in the local church. Folks, we don't do a good job of this. The truth of the matter is deacons and deaconesses were started back in the book of Acts in a time of conflict. Isn't that right? There was a conflict in Acts chapter 6 that entered into the church because of the fact that there was a cultural struggle going on. The Jewish um, widows and the Hellenistic widows, which were the Greek widows, there seemed to be as though someone was being treated differently in relationship to how the food was being distributed. I don't want to go into how all that all developed. All I'm saying is there was a conflict. And because of the conflict, the apostles appointed deacons to be able to manage the situation, which included 
working through the conflict, not just providing the food in a fairer way, but also managing the conflict and settling down the feelings and, and the, uh, the sense of cultural difference and whatever else it was that they were dealing with at that time. Our elders, deacons, and deaconesses do need to understand that our local churches have struggles what we normally do when we have a problem or a conflict, even at its early, um, early germination stage, pastor, pastor, we're having an emergency, pastor, pastor. It's always call the pastor. But the truth of the matter is that work is really appointed to the elders, the deacons, and the deaconesses. If the, and especially, actually, the deacons and deaconesses. But the truth is that elders sometimes have to step in because these things become spiritual struggles in which they need to provide guidance. And then as a last resort, the pastor might be consulted because it's beyond the scope or it's gotten to a point where that kind of level of leadership is needed. But every time the problem arises and we run to the pastor, we've just taken the pastor out of the job that God has especially given to him to advance the gospel, and we have taken him away from that duty and absorbed his time with something else. When my phone rings as the ministerial director and people are complaining about something or other or whatever, I'm going to tell you that it takes me days to weeks to solve that problem. It takes me hours and money to be able to solve that problem. Whereas most of the time those problems can be solved at the local church level if people will turn to the Lord and develop skills themselves in being able to manage these issues that are there. Ellen White makes this amazing statement. I don't have it in our material, but she makes this amazing statement. She says, most of our problems could be solved in five minutes if we would just talk them out. Most of our problems could be solved in five minutes if we just talk them out. And you know what? That's from all the way through some of our major theological problems to the minor issues that we deal with on a local church level. But let's get into the heart of what I want to share with you today. I'm going to give you some basic principles, but I'm going to move through them very quickly because I want to be able to spend a primary amount of time on the last few slides that I have. I put this in your hands in terms of material so that you can utilize it. I'm going to quickly explain what that material is, but without digesting it um, in uh, ad infinitum. And if you've got more questions about that, you can call me, you can uh, work on that uh, outside of this, or I can come and do some training for you. I do that as well, and I'm happy to do that. First of all, when it comes to managing conflict, we need to realize that conflict in the local church is the work of the devil. It is not the work of the Lord. Right? I mean, conflict is what the devil's trying to stir up. And the resolution is not to use the devil's tools, but to use God's tools. And the tool that God has given us is a basic principle out of Matthew 18 uh, and working at the whole passage of Revelation, uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, 18, but we're looking at some specifics here. First of all, a reminder that our work is to seek and to save the lost. A person is lost when they are allowing sin to dominate their lives. A person can be lost with their membership status and good and regular standing. If we do nothing, they may be lost forever. Some of the problems we have in our church center around con conflict of issues, conflict of, uh, of uh, personality, uh, conflict of theology, whatever. But many of the times the conflicts that we have in our church are because somebody has taken a direction in their lives that's contrary to biblical counsel and the church doesn't know how to manage that. Somebody who's decided that uh, robbing banks is really okay to do and they're teaching everybody else to rob banks as well. Now you draw your own conclusions from why to use that and not something else, okay? <laughs> And uh, I think we're all agreed that robbing banks is wrong. Um, if you think robbing banks is okay, come talk to me afterwards. Let's not discuss it here. There are other 
issues though that are similar in terms of personal uh, decisions that people make both on a theological level and on a practical level in relationship to their work situation and Sabbath work, their marriage situation, etc., 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 their health practices, their decision that smoking's okay, that drinking is okay, all of those kinds of things. And we go ahead and we let them stay in that state. God makes it clear to us we're responsible for the loss of that person when it comes to the end of time. Now, that's pretty heavy. That doesn't mean God doesn't forgive. I'm saying God, especially if we don't recognize that we did it or we recognize it and we don't ask for forgiveness, we need to recognize God is holding us responsible. Ellen White has some things to say, and I can't remember if it's in our notes here because I prepare these ahead of time, and, and uh, it was certainly in my leadership classes in which I, uh, elders and deacons and deaconesses, the responsibility we have with this. My point is that if someone is living in a state of sin and we ignore it, we are condoning it. And not only that, we are giving opportunity for it to continue to expand and to grow into that church, and it becomes more of a problem. And most importantly, that person, if they continue in that state of sin, will not, I will emphasize again, will not be in the kingdom of heaven. Because we thought it was okay for them to have a good membership, we weren't willing to face that situation. We need to understand the weight that's on us as elders, deacons, and deaconesses, leaders in our church. We need to remember the power of forgiveness. We must not forget the power and the place of forgiveness in people's lives. Matthew 18, um, uh, 21 and 22, and the parable of the unforgiving servant remind us that the implications for resolving conflict are significant. The unforgiving servant was not willing to forgive even though he had been forgiven a much greater state than the, uh, the situation that he called upon his fellow servant to, uh, to, to, to deal with. You and I need to understand that as individuals, we are responsible to be forgiving, but we also need to teach the people in our church, the members in our church, to also be forgiving. Quick comment, clarification. Clarification. Um, uh, a member in the church um, is, uh, say, for instance, uh, serving two churches. Mm -hmm. And uh, the big concern is, do we do something about it or do we let God change it? You know, that's, that's where... When you're saying serving two churches, what do you mean? Like going... going to Sunday church. Ch yeah, yeah. So the question, so I'm repeating it for the recording. Um, the question is, do, what do we do with people that are in a situation going to two different churches? The first thing I would do is I, I would allow time to go by because most times that works itself out. It takes time to be able to work that through, but I would be working with them and giving them Bible studies. I'm going to save some of those kinds of questions for a little later to try to be able to do that. I want to keep going on these uh, circumstances here. Resolving conflict involves using biblical and church tools. The Bible tools very simply are the instruction that God gives to us to manage these issues. And also Matthew 18 in order to be able to deal with these circumstances. Uh, church tools include the church manual. In, uh, including the uh, wonderful writings of Ellen White that help to provide guidance so that we are making sure that a principle is a principle rather than just a suggestion. Uh, and uh, the Word of God, of course, when it comes to identifying what's right and what's wrong. Resolving conflict, that's what communion service is for. There comes a point at which the communion service is that opportunity to say it's time to put the conflict that we've experienced individually or even as a church family behind us and the communion service provides that opportunity because we come together to wash one another's feet as a way of saying that we are setting aside our differences and turning them over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Intervention of church leaders is another conflict tool that can be used. Um, certainly one of those church leaders is the pastor. Elders and deacons and deaconesses should be the starting point, the pastor, the district superintendent of the, of the uh, local district, 
uh, maybe then going to the conference level when necessary. But I would suggest it needs to go to the conference level when all other attempts have been exhausted and uh, when it's recognized how serious that is. I mentioned the church manual already. Ellen White says, I mean, I'm sorry, the church, yeah, she says in the church manual, uh, page 59, it's quoted from volume 8 of the testimony, Christians should make every effort to avoid tendencies that would divide them and bring dishonor to their cause. It is the purpose of God that His children shall blend in unity. Do they not expect to live together in the same heaven? Those who refuse to work in harmony greatly dishonor God. If matters of or difficulty between brethren were not laid open before others, but frankly spoken of between themselves and the spirit of Christian love, how much evil might be prevented? How many roots of bitterness whereby many are defiled would be destroyed? How closely and tenderly might the followers of Christ be united in His love? The devil tries to intervene in our lives and our experiences to prevent us from being able to have this experience. You as elders, deacons, and deaconesses, as leaders of the local church, need to recognize immediately when a conflict like this comes up that as elder Sliger has been talking to us about in the morning, we are, you have entered into a different phase of the war with the devil that he has taken a direct attack on your church and that the way you solve that problem is with spiritual tools. You solve that problem with prayer and fasting. You solve that, that tool with the Word of God. You solve the tool the way that, that problem with the tools that Jesus himself used. And we need to recognize when those things come into our church that that's a time for us to get together and pray and say, we've got a conflict. More problems have been solved through prayer than we would often realize need to be solved that way. Um, talking about controversies, great and small, and Ministry Magazine, uh, a lady by the name of, this was from 2004, Helen Pearson, had some unwritten commandments. Uh, they're interesting. These are not biblical commandments. Please understand that. Uh, I, I thought, ah, oh, it gets our mind thinking a little bit, but please don't go back and digest this, memorize this, now teach your church this. I'm just using it as uh, for something for you as elders, as deacons and deaconesses, leaders in your church, to be able to say, get your mind thinking about what's really going on. I'm just going to go through them briefly uh, here just to make a point. Thou shalt be nice. She's talking about the way we sometimes respond to these things. And there's some principles that she's got in here that are not appropriate. And then she gives some others that are a little bit more appropriate. This is tongue-in-cheek, all right? Thou shalt not, I mean, thou shalt be nice. Niceness is the essence of Christianity. So far, we're okay. Thou shalt, that's not the essence of Christianity, but it's part of Christianity. Thou shalt not confront others in public. The church is our home and conflict belongs in the outside world. Out there, not among us in our home. Conflict is nasty and unimaginable. It is painful and messy. It is evil and raiseth thy blood pressure. If challenged or confronted in public, thou shalt not listen to thine enemy, but prepare thy speech while an enemy is still speaking. You get the point? That's bad listening skills. When we're trying to develop an answer for what somebody is saying to us, we've missed the point because we're not listening to what they're saying. And it may be that the answer is not what I'm about to give. It is in listening to what they're really trying to tell me. And I might really, oh, that's what you mean. Boy, my answer wouldn't have applied to that at all. Ever had that experience? Anyway, thou shalt not speak nor look at contentious persons who are likely to disagree with thee. Those who have raised, it should be raised, thy righteous anger are to be avoided. And then she quotes from Titus 3, 10 and 11, have nothing to do with anyone who causes divisions. And, and again, just be careful how you apply that principle, okay? Um, and don't overdo that principle. I, I'm not, I hope you're getting the tongue-in-cheek part of this, but if you're not, I, I don't want to get too bogged down on this. Thou shalt not speak to those with whom thou dost disagree, lest they lead thee into the sin of anger. Thou shalt rather get angry with them and talk about them behind their backs. All right, she made that one pretty clear, didn't she? The, the whole idea is 
Folks, we practice bad principles when it comes to the way we deal with differences with our brothers and sisters. We talk about them behind their back, but we don't discuss it with them up front. That's why Ellen White says five minutes is probably all it would take to be able to solve most of our problems, because if we would get together and talk about it, most of those issues could be solved right then and there. Thou shalt not show emotions in public. Men, maintain remote silence. Women, thou shalt not argue. If a conflict arises, thou shalt not discuss the problems face to face. Go to thy home. Boy, I'm sorry about the typos. Go to thy home and write a critical letter or email. I'm sorry. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's really the way we solve the problem today, or put it on Facebook would be uh, an updated version of this. If someone disagrees with thee, tell him or her to go home and pray about it until he or she sees that you are right. We have no time to resolve conflicts. We must finish the work. And, you know, there's a... There's some truth in what she says. We really don't have time for conflict. We really must finish the work. But sometimes we need to sort these out before before differences become major conflict. Okay? Thou shalt keep the peace at all costs. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Where does it say anything about those with concerns for truth and justice in the Beatitudes? She's just got a lot of tongue-in-cheek in here. If thou must confront, save the energy for the church business meeting where thou canst argue about money. If thou dost not like the way things are going in the church, blame the pastor or the church board or the general conference or the brethren. And if all else fails, find another they to focus upon. All right, you get it, right? Yeah. Let's use good tools, not bad practice and not bad tools so that we can have some good ways of being able to work through some of these things. Some of the ways that we need to be looking at uh, things, she says, is like a dysfunctional family, we avoid conflict at all costs until it blows up, and it usually does. Then there is pain and schism and division. As the conflict erupts, people inevitably sustain wounds, which if they are not treated and healed, get inflamed again in the next round of conflicts. When people start bickering with each other, when people start gossiping and dealing with issues in that particular way, we as leaders need to understand that we can stop the conflict before it becomes a conflict by addressing it right away. Ellen White makes it clear that if people are gossiping, that one of the responsibilities of leaders is to walk away when that gossip is going on and also to stop it right then and there. I'm sorry, but that really is gossip. And if we're not dealing with the problem to solve the problem, and you haven't gone and talked to that person, then we shouldn't be talking about it. You understand? And look, folks, I'm a human being. I struggle with this just like you do. And uh, we need to learn to practice with this more and to give, ask the Lord to give us the tools to really work through this because a lot of our challenges in our churches come from these kinds of situations. Here are some better commandments for conflict and controversy that she gave. I'm just using this as a tool to focus our thoughts. Blessed are those who are prepared to move toward a difference of opinion, not away from it. Her point is that sometimes we have differences of opinion. We can live together with difference of opinion. I'm not talking about whether the difference is Sabbath versus Sunday. That's theological conflict that needs to be addressed. But most of our conflicts are not over that. They're over the fact that, you know, you're the head deacon and you didn't open the church when I asked you to open it up today and and you're just showing that you don't like me and that, I mean, and on and on and on over relatively minor things. And uh, we need to learn how to work through some of that. Blessed are those who see conflict as a problem to be resolved, not a battle to be won. Blessed are those who are prepared to give a full hearing to another side of the question without worrying about what they are going to say next. We sometimes need to listen to the concerns that people have because there's often a number of things there that we can learn from it. Even if it doesn't bring about the anticipated change the person might have in mind, it often gives ideas and issues that need to be addressed and that can lead to long-term change in many cases to solve problems. Blessed are those who prepared to give a... I just read that. Blessed are those who can give equal hearing to the demands of the four great values, truth and justice, mercy and peace. Blessed are those who can listen to an outpoured can of worms and identify the real issue. 
One of the challenges that we face is that many times people will come to leaders in the church with something that they're pouring out to uh, their heart on and a problem that they're uh, speaking about when that really isn't the problem at all. Sometimes we have to stop and say, you know, wait a minute, is this really the problem? Or is the problem that this person is not being ministered to on a regular basis? It's not just that they're upset that the church didn't get open, but that somebody wasn't caring enough about them, hadn't been showing attention to them, whatever the need may be. Many times there's something that even the individual doesn't recognize is really the issue. And that's where the Spirit of God is needed to help us to understand that. And we need to be thinking about that when we find uh, these kinds of problems arising. Blessed are those who, when when confronted by someone who disagrees with them, avoid saying directly or indirectly, you are the problem, your ideas and behaviors are wrong. Blessed are those who, when confronted by someone who disagrees with them, are prepared to say, we have a problem here, what can we do about it? Blessed are those who see people, not problems, who work through, work with individual concerns, not stereotypes. Blessed are those who are prepared to acknowledge their own uncertainties, defenses, and hang-ups. Blessed are those, our spouses and friends and colleagues, who are prepared to ask each other, do I have a problem? Is something I'm doing contributing to this conflict? A very important part of it. If I'm involved in a conflict, I'm not a leader off on the side, but I'm one of the parties involved in the conflict, the question I have to ask is, what am I doing to contribute to that problem? And that takes self-reflection but realizing that if I'm in conflict, I'm doing something to contribute to that conflict, and I need to figure out what that is. It might be a minor role in my mind, but it may be a major role in solving the conflict. We can't talk a lot about more about this. Um, blessed are those who prepared to abandon roles and position and then acknowledge and speak for their common humanity. Blessed are those who are frequently heard to say, please, thank you, and I'm sorry. Those are good words to be used in the church. We don't hear them much anymore. Um, I want to talk to you about some of the issues that we are facing in the church today. With the other information behind us, we need to recognize that many of these current issues lead to conflict in the local church. Some of these especially uh, the top one up at the top of the screen. Um, This one is there, not as hot button an issue in many churches, but coming. But this one, women's ordination, has a tremendous amount of emotion tied to it all over the North American division and beyond. Then we have some of these theological current issues that we need to be able to address and talk about today. We need to understand that these can generate conflict and problems in our church. One of the reasons that these problems, especially these theological issues that we are wrestling with in some of our churches today, are causing so much stress and tension is because leaders, we're not leading. We are letting our churches simply maintain and float. We're not visiting our members. We're not studying and praying and fellowshipping together, and I mean really studying and praying and fellowshipping together on a deep level rather than a superficial level. We're not teaching leaders the way God has intended that we should be teaching as elders, deacons, and deaconesses. We're not holding up the truth as strongly as we should. We're allowing sin to remain in our camps when we're not dealing with things that do need to be dealt with. We need to step up to the level of leadership that God has called upon us to, uh, to, to maintain because that's where the work is getting done. It's not just with a pastor preaching a sermon. It's more important to, for us to understand that the important work that is done is done behind the scenes working with people. Church members are waking up today finding out that this movement has stepped into their church and they don't know about it. One of, my pa- one of our pastors today, ha- I mean here, one of our Michigan pastors, while I've been here at camp meeting, has uh, sent us a couple of texts indicating that one of his leaders has stepped away from the church and into this movement. 
we're not talking about these things and they're suddenly springing up in our church. What we don't realize is that when they do spring up, they usually have collateral damage along with it as well. We need to be taking a strong direction in relationship. I'm looking for clarification, not question. I'm getting to that. I'm coming back to that in a minute. Um, and I don't mind you doing that because I want to make sure you understand I'm not walking away from that. So let's go to the top issue, LGBTQA+. Did you know that that was all there? You thought it was just LGBT, but it's not. It's all of that today, because, and, it's, and the plus is getting to be very interesting. We shouldn't be surprised that this is happening. If you read in uh, Timothy, you realize that um, the world is going to look like what Paul said it was going to look like. It is every form and every sin and some that we couldn't even imagine that are showing up in, uh, in our world today. And to think that it's not going to have some kind of an impact on our church is wrong. I will start by saying it's not a simple answer, but the basic answer is the Word of God. The Word of God is clear. We need to stand on the Word of God. We need to recognize that sin is sin no matter what form it comes in. For somebody to tell me that one particular area of sin is really not sin because it's genetic, and then to tell me that other things like alcoholism are genetic, but they're not, they really are sin, I don't understand that reasoning. I don't, what we really have come to is where the fact of the matter is my anger might be genetic as well. Maybe I come from a family line of people that are angry or I have a, another issue that's going along and all we're doing is making excuse for sin. Now, I understand, I mean, I may be generating all kinds of stuff and listen, I've sat in Seventh-day Adventist minister meetings, not minister meetings, but meetings where this issue is discussed and I'm telling you the discussions are all over the all over the platform. And you may have family members that are caught up in this issue, and I want to be extremely sensitive to that. I want you to understand, though, that we have to stand here and in all of these issues on the biblical foundation. The Word of God is our only help, but we must understand that sin is sin, no matter what form it comes in. If it's smoking or alcoholism or anger or gossiping, sin is sin. And it must not be allowed to be perpetuated in our churches. I don't know how else to say it. It's got to be clear to us that way. If my problem is alcoholism, then I, and, and, and if I grew up in a home where alcohol is a problem and my grandfather and my father and my mother and my cousins and my aunts and uncles were all alcoholics and I have grown, grown up in that environment and I'm an alcoholic, I still need the deliverance of Jesus to get on the right track. Okay? If I have some kind of a persuasion that the Bible does not support whatever it might be, whether it's in this area or it's in any other area, I need to recognize that Jesus is the answer to my problem. And problems of this nature are cleansed by the righteousness of Jesus Christ being replaced, replacing and taking away my sin. Jesus is the answer to my problems. And we need to help people to understand that Jesus wants everyone to have a relationship with Him that is based upon truth and not in based upon society's norms. That is the bottom line that we have to work with today. I know this is a very emotional area. I know I get phone calls from people who are, have uh, leaders in their churches that are struggling with this. 
I know that we have parents in our churches whose kids are caught up in this area and this problem in their lives and that they're trying to make decisions, heart-wrenching decisions about whether or not to go to the wedding of their, of their son who's marrying another man or their daughters who's marrying another woman. I understand that. I recognize that's there. We need to put our arms around those people. We need to pray with them and we need to love them and we need to encourage them. I'm talking about the parents that are facing those hard-wrenching decisions. We need to also put our arms around these individuals that are struggling with these issues and recognize that they need Jesus just like I need Jesus and that I'm a sinner just like they are. I'm not better than they are and then their sin is not worse than my sin. Do you understand? We need to understand the basic Christian principles of love and mercy and understanding. But the same principles that remind us of the love of Jesus Christ remind us that Jesus died to cleanse us from sin and to remove sin and that people need to understand that all sin must be surrendered to the Lord Jesus no matter what form it comes on in and no matter what society happens to think about that sin. I'm, I don't drink alcohol because of what it does to my body. I don't, I, I don't support elders, deacons, and deaconesses drinking alcohol because it's damaging to their spiritual relationship with Jesus, but it also is damaging to their influence in the local church. And there's so many ramifications of that. You and I need to understand how all of these individual things work uh, in relationship to each other. Yes, please. Oh, yeah, you want to know what those things all stand for? Okay. Um, lesbian? Gay, thank you. Um, bisexual? Um, transgender? Queer? Um, what's that one? Other? No, it's asexual. Asexual. You know what that is? Not sexual at all. Okay? Plus, you can just go on from there as to whatever it is that they might fit into that whole situation. Pardon me? I don't know. It's in, it's, it's in plus. Okay? It, but folks, look. Seriously. In this world today, there are people now that are promoting all kinds of forms of things, of bestiality and everything else. Why can't I do that? I can do any one of these and, I, and society's okay with it, so why can't I do what works for me? And, and I mean, it, the limit is, is gone. All right? They're, pa- they're past, they're, they're, they're trying to say, look, um, this is all okay, so why can't we have multiple marriages? Uh, why can't we have multiple partners that we're married to? You know, uh, polygamy, oh, I don't whatever else. Okay, but let's not get too far on that. That's what those stand for. It's just that whole gamut that's developed today. And whereas we started with L and G, we've now gone to the whole limit there because society is basically saying anything goes today, and that's the way it is. That's why the Bible has to be our guidance and our direction. There's another label called MAP. Okay. Uh, minor attraction. Yes. That was one that was in my mind as well, and I couldn't remember what it was. That's the issue. There are people who are saying, look, why can't I have relationships with underage kids and all that kind of stuff, folks? All right, let's not get any farther down here. Yeah, go ahead. So the whole thing is, it's uh, the void of Jesus and His Word. That's because exactly without right. Without Jesus and His Word, That's that exactly right. leaves everything wide open. Okay. Because I gave a sermon on some of this, but I prefaced that too. I said, that doesn't mean our sins are any better than somebody else's sins. I said, one reason some people don't like other people is because they don't sin the same way we do. Well, that's, that's exactly but right. The whole thing is, without Jesus and His Word, all this stuff's wide open. So that, that's our answer. The world is going to be in this state, and we need to do that. I need to repeat both of these things for the recording. MAP, you mentioned, is minor attracted person, okay? Dealing with people who are adults who want a relationship 
and I don't mean just friends, with, uh, with a younger uh, uh, underage person and a reminder that Jesus and the Bible are the focus and, uh, and, and the direction. I'll leave it at that at this point. Uh, folks, I, I'm not giving you a lot of biblical this and that for these particular principles. I just don't have time to go into all of those issues here. I'm heightening your awareness and telling you that there are some tools. I want to give you one of the tools here is uh, the coming out movement. If you haven't uh, uh, gotten acquainted with them, uh, there's a wonderful team out there of individuals who have gone through this journey, who have surrendered their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and are ministering to other individuals. They are Seventh-day Adventists committed. One of them is a minister. Others are individuals that are going through, uh, 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 have surrendered their lives to this ministry to try to help others, and this is the work that they are doing. And uh, they have some tremendous tools available. You can go online. You can get connected with them. I'm going to tell you that even in the Adventist Church, there are people that are not comfortable with them. We've had them on the campus here at camp meeting. Um, we've had them uh, in Michigan in a lot of different places. But I'll tell you that even on some of our university campuses... <sighs> no, I won't say it. Okay. They're very effective when they were here, Pastor. Very, very effective. It's called it's coming called coming out ministries, isn't it? I think that I think I got that right. Yeah, coming out ministries, and uh, you can find it online. Uh, let me talk to you about marijuana very, very quickly. I don't have a good answer for this. We're talking about it right now. You all understand what the issue is. The fact is that it's been legalized. Okay. Well, all right. So has alcohol. But what you don't find doctors do is prescribing alcohol for pain and some of those kinds of things, even though people use it that way. But um, they are prescribing marijuana as a medicinal prescription. And that is presenting some real interesting challenges to us today. But our basic stand is this, that marijuana is a drug, um, even if it's legal, Smoking it is not the only way to get the benefits from it, and we do not, at the moment, I'm not speaking for the conference. I want, to, I want you to hear me very carefully. I'm on a recording. It's going to go all over the world or whatever. I don't know, but I'm telling you that the church is still working through how to manage this. One has to be real careful when you start arguing against a, a doctor's prescription, those are some real challenges, but the evidence that I personally, listen, I personally am aware of are doctors that are saying the best way to get medicinal effects of marijuana is not by smoking it, okay? And the, the side effects of smoking, it have other downsides to it, and so we just don't support that. This is all confusing stuff like that, and I just don't want to get into it. But for right now, if you encounter this in the local church, I would suggest you, first of all, you and your pastor talk it over and develop an appropriate strategy that's biblically sound. And if you need any counsel, call us at the office. And we're happy to try to help you to sort through that. The bottom line is we don't support the use of marijuana as a, as a recreational thing or whatever. And when it comes to the medicinal use, um, we have some counsel that we can give in a, in a general direction. Here's some of the problems we've faced. We've had individuals that in the local churches have opened uh, marijuana dispensaries and they uh, are Seventh-day Adventist Christians and they want to have them open and they want to be able to sell this. Well, you know, we got some real problems with that. Now, the good news is generally it's been solved simply by the fact that they want their store open on Sabbath as well and that just kind of solves the problem right there and that tells you part of the challenge. Okay. I'm assuming that the non-hallucinogenic portion of marijuana, and I forget the letters, yeah, right. letters uh, acronyms, right. uh, right. is not an issue. Yeah, the, the, the issue is if it's being used medicinally just like any other medication, I mean, if you take, um, uh, okay, what's one of those heavy, well, yeah, I don't want to get into that one because that gets into the, into the opiate crisis, but there are other... Um, when you are morphine, that's the word I want. If you take morphine, it's got some effects to it as well, but it's a medicinal and all of that. We would put that in the same category. Okay, I know. I, that portion of the drug. Yeah. But I'm talking about the 
And I'm saying, yes, you're right. We don't support the hallucinating, whatever, doing that but kind of stuff. the other portion that you can rub out with the oil, we don't care. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I don't care, but I would say I'm not sure that, that we want to try to regulate that, okay? Now, I'm so unknowledgeable on this. If I'm saying something out of my ignorance, I hope you will understand that I am only just beginning to learn this and the church itself has not really addressed this. And, and we, you know, I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a chemist. I, I don't have all the tools to be able to manage all those nuances. Uh, we're all having to learn, and that's why I'm saying to you, don't just let it happen, but ask questions, and we don't have the answers. We'll call and get the answers. All right, let me go I, back I, here. I work with two young men right now. Mm -hmm. okay. Let's talk about it afterwards, because I don't, I, we're getting it so specific that I've got to make sure that I don't, I don't want that on a recording, because if I say the wrong thing, I'm going the wrong direction. I'm telling you, though, that we're learning on this journey, but it's out there, and it's a real issue. Uh, in relationship to women's ordination, uh, no, I'm not going to solve that problem today, <laughs> okay? Um, this is an ongoing issue in the, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It has a tremendous amount of um, stress and emotion that is tied to it. I understand that. I recognize that. Um, we've had conversations uh, on this campus in relationship to people sharing uh, thoughts along that line. I'm not trying to deal with that today. What I'm saying is these are current issues in the church, and our church has to learn to work through these issues and to get along. That's where the conflict management uh, skills are necessary. That's why I spoke about that early on. We need to learn to talk and to pray together. Folks, this is not a salvation issue. Do you hear me? Jesus died on the cross that you and I might be saved. We need to be able to sort out women's ordination issue in a way that keeps us unified, not divides us. At some point, the church will make a decision, as it already has, but I don't know how many times we have to continue to walk down that journey. But up to this point, the church has made a decision based upon the Word of God as they believe it. The church needs to work off of that basis as it moves forward. That's what keeps us united. That's why we have a church manual. That's why we have principles upon which we uh, mitigate and work together through these problems. And we need to recognize that women's ordination is one of those issues. When the church makes a decision, then we need to stand by the church as it works through this issue. If the church wants to work through it in a different way, we have to find a different way to work through it. That's, let's let the church sort that part of it out. I'm just using it as an illustration of these types of issues that we face that are not going to, I'm not going to come to your church and suggest that because somebody in your church has this opinion on women's ordination that they need to be disfellowshipped. No, I'm not. But if you have somebody in your church who is part of the anti-Trinitarian movement and who's preaching this, I will come to you and say, you're going to have to do something in this church with that individual because it's damaging to your church and it's a, clearly a theology we do not accept. Do you see the difference? And you understand how we work. But folks, we have to be willing to understand that as we as leaders are dealing with these issues, this is only going to be more compounded. And what the devil wants to do is get us so wrapped up in these issues that we lose sight of our mission. That's what's going on. The devil is trying to take us away from our mission and try to solve it as our as our uh, institutions especially deal with that particular issue. And if they get absorbed in that issue and people on campus, young people and older people, whatever, start getting into uh, dis uh, heavy discussions and conflict and all that around this, let me ask you how much mission gets done. Zilch is right. None gets done. Everything is set off to the side and we lose the direction we're going. We need to stay with our mission and realize the Lord will help us sort out these issues. 
In this particular issue, I believe it's clearly a biblical issue, and we need to stand on that at that level. This one is one the church is sorting out. This is a medical issue that has ramifications we have to work through. These two are theological issues. And let me talk to them for a moment. The anti-Trinitarian movement is probably the most active movement that is affecting us in Michigan and in North America at the moment. And uh, let me speak to a couple of the situations that are working there. I already told you about an elder that came uh, to his uh, pastor and said, uh, I'm resigning my church membership. You can take, I mean, no, no warning. Absolutely no warning. No discussion. I don't understand that. Uh, somebody who's hiding that and suddenly walks away without being willing to discuss it, it tells me there's another spiritual problem going in that, in that situation. Because if I set myself up as the standard, and I have to be careful as a minister as well, as I set myself up as the standard, I've got all the answers, I know what's going on, I'm walking on very dangerous spiritual ground. And, uh, but at any rate, this particular movement has become extremely active in the North American division. It's not the first time. It's been here before, but we're living in the last days. So the devil knows that he's got to distract us from our mission again. And he's come up with something that is clearly not biblical, clearly not supported by the spirit of prophecy. But when you talk to these individuals that are caught up in this and you show them the statements from Ellen White, they say, well, we don't believe that, those statements from Ellen White, because they've been manipulated, they've been changed and all that. Even when you show them the documentation in Ellen White's own handwriting, they believe their conspiracy theory rather than believing the truth in relationship to that issue. This is a real challenge today, and it's happening in your church. How do we deal with it. My first suggestion to you is be careful. If you start to preach a whole bunch of sermons to solve the problem, you sometimes heighten people's awareness of it. The other side of the coin is if you don't preach sermons about it and you don't teach about it, you leave people in, uh, ill-equipped to handle the problem because they don't have the theology to understand that it is clearly unbiblical this way, and biblical understanding the issue of the Godhead. And I prefer Godhead over Trinity because the anti-Trinitarians react against the Trinity, claiming that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has accepted the Catholic view of the Trinity, which couldn't be farther from the truth. The truth is the anti-Trinitarians have a model that is closer to the Catholic model than what Seventh-day Adventists believe the Bible teaches. And when you really analyze it, that's the truth. That is what's there. Um, so I think one of the things that we need to be doing is we need to be teaching and we need to be learning. We need to be praying and studying the Word of God together with our people. And in some of these areas, we probably need to study them out with our members so that they have the tools to understand. But I don't think that the best way is, now we're going to teach you why the anti-Trinitarians are wrong because that immediately is a whole different issue. But we can come into our churches as leaders in our churches, and we can say, you know, one of the subjects that we're gonna study for, let's say prayer meeting or a small group study or, or whatever, we're gonna just talk about the Godhead because we want to understand the biblical foundation of this teaching. You don't have to start saying it's because of so-and-so that we're dealing with it, because then they start saying, oh, I." I mean, if you're just studying a subject, well, they're studying a subject, just like they're studying the Sabbath. But if you say, well, we're studying this because we don't want you to get caught up in the anti-Trinitarian movement, it, you know how people react to that? My dad used to use an illustration of a lawyer, Jim, who would get up in front of the attorney, I mean, in front of the jury, and he would say to the attorney now, uh, to the jury, I don't want you to think about the red-faced monkey, Okay. Now, you're all going to go away from here, and the first thing you're going to tell me, I've been thinking about that red-faced monkey all day long, okay? As soon as we start telling people about something, they Google it, and they start getting into it, and pretty soon, people that are weak are caught up in it, and we have to be careful of that. All right, I saw your hand. I'm watching my clock, and I've got about two or three minutes here. I'm wondering why, uh, how helpful it would be, let me repeat that for the recording and then I'll make a suggestion, okay? Um, the question was, it would be helpful 
And wouldn't it be helpful if we, when it came to this and perhaps the other things that we're dealing with, if we had some tools to have a little background, some Bible text that would help us to know how to address that issue and uh, to be able to, to go on from there. Uh, I think that's a fair request. And I'll tell you what I'm going to try to do. There's a sign-up sheet that's going around here, and this is one of the reasons that I have that sign-up sheet. If you, how many of you have not signed into that sheet yet? Anybody not shine in? Oh, okay. Can we get this back up here? Please don't leave until you've signed into that sheet. What I want, what I will do is I'll go back and I'll look for some of those kinds of resources and see if uh, what we have readily available and others that we might be able to share with you in these particular areas that might be able to be helpful to you. Okay? Would that be of help? If, if we turned around and sent them to you, I think you should have them. Second of all, you can also do some Googling. You've got to be careful when you Google because not all resources are valid and helpful. But there are a lot of resources out there that can be helpful in regard to this particular issue, the you know, Godhead, and that you would find uh, beneficial as well. But be, be careful with them. I came across one just recently um, in relationship to the anti-Trinitarian issue. Um, Ellen White's statements are very important, and there are some individuals that have drawn uh, a lot of the statements there that are helpful. But let me tell you, let me give you a little bit of warning. First of all, there's a good principle that you just expressed. You were talking to somebody and you heard the language that they were using and you said something's not right here. Folks, that comes from visiting our members. Many of our members walk into these issues innocently enough because somebody planted a little seed somewhere or they might have seen it online or whatever and they just start picking up on it and they start sharing it. When you encounter that, don't confront it but educate, all right? I mean, don't confront it by saying, oh, 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 you're on heresy ground. Now let me tell you why you are. That just puts a barrier between you and the person. But instead say, you know, I'm interested in the language you're using here. Um, I noticed you just said something about, well, that's Trinity and that's Catholic. Uh, why don't we sit down and talk about that because I'd like to show you what the Catholics believe and what Seventh-day Adventists believe and you'll see that they're not the same. I also share you with you what the Bible says on the subject and we can talk about that. When you're at that stage, you're able to make good progress. But I will tell you that once a person has walked into this movement and they're settled there, there's no conversation to have. And I'll, I will tell you that we've had situations where this has taken place and uh, I've sat down and I've talked to these individuals for hours, literally. We sent a Seventh-day Adventist, ordained Seventh-day Adventist experienced minister, the former ministerial director of the Michigan Conference, who is also a theologian in his own right, to one of these churches for a whole year, and he could not make any progress with those individuals at all. Once they've gone into it, they, they're just into it. It's now become a conspiracy theory to them, and they're invested in it. Until the Lord, through the Spirit of God, convinces their hearts and converts their hearts, they're into it for the duration. And so that's a real challenge. The Branch Davidians, by the way, just a quick comment about them. They come in, uh, the Branch Davidians are a <laughs> branch off of the shepherd's rods, and there's lots of different things there. They're not getting a lot of that today, except that usually at camp meeting, the branch, uh, the shepherd's rods will stand out here somewhere and pass out their literature out on a corner and, and so on and so forth. They will be confrontational in our churches. I was at the Lansing Church one day, and the pastor at the time was dialoguing with them, and, and they were getting real frustrated because he was just kind of bantering back and forth with them, and they were hoping he would actually hit them. I'm serious. He was ho they were hoping that he would punch them or hit them or push them or whatever. They have a video recording so they can do it. And as soon as you do that, it goes online, and they'll also try to press assault charges and all of that kind of thing. That's, that's not Branch Davidians. That's shepherd's rods. Branch Davidians have a theology that's in a whole different direction, but we're not getting a lot of influence. We've had a couple of churches affected by it, but you as leaders, my point is this, need to be sensitive to the fact we're living in the last days. And Ellen White says that every perversion that could be, these are my words, that could be generated today and every theological um, device that can be used by the devil to sidetrack away from God's work is going to be there. Even the issue of the gospel 
is at the center of controversy as well. And God has to help us with that as well, to understand that all of these things have their challenges for us and we need to be there. I'm not going to get into the issue of discipline today. I'm just out of time. I've given you some tools here. I will tell you that I teach a class that Elder Gallimore used to teach and that he could still teach today if you wanted him to on redemptive discipline. We need to be understanding that discipline is still a tool, still a tool of the church, but with the goal of redeeming, not destroying. And so I want to make sure you understand that there's some tools for that in here. I'm not going to take the time to go any farther in that. So folks, I, I'm done today. I've heightened your awareness. If you have got issues that you're dealing with, you want to ask me some questions, go ahead and do that. Make sure you're on the sign-up sheet so that I can send you some materials, and I'll try to do that over a period of time between now and the end of the year. And uh, please fill out the evaluation form as well and let me know uh, if we, what we can do to improve our class. Let's end with a word of prayer. And thank you for being here today. Father in heaven, in one hour we can't solve all the world's problems. But we can realize that you are the source of the solution. We come to you recognizing that Jesus came to die for sinners, of which we are chief. And we pray that you will help us because we want to help other sinners to find their way to Jesus but also to recognize that in Jesus is strength to recognize when sin is sin and when to set it aside. So Lord, as we uh, end our time here in this class today, pray that you will go with us and help us as leaders to be able to help our churches to strength and not to weakness, to be able to combat error and to lift up Jesus Christ and truth. Thank you for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.